Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others who want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as in every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hello, guys. Hey there. Hey, Carlos. Happy, happy new week. Happy new week. So, it's weird. I was going to ask about snow, but it's freezing down here in Florida. What is it, like 72? It's 50s. 50s. That that would be lovely. We had we had uh, 60s last week and it was it was like summer hit again. (laughs) We're not even close to doing the 60s. I still have feet and feet of snow here. We either get snow or ice, kind of your call there. I have to put long pants, a jacket, a hat, socks. I couldn't put flip flops to go and walk the dog. (laughs) <laughs> oh man i wear my uh I, I forget what the shoes are called those stupid um like rubberized sandal things i wear those down in the 20s oh really yeah i don't ever wear shorts so it's not like there's it's not like it's always shorts weather but i i'm you know I, i'm always in a t-shirt it doesn't matter not even i do not wear shorts no i'm not i'm not terribly proud of my legs <laughs> i see <laughs> yeah so each person have different skills in snow, in weather. So we're on the fourth leg of this series and we're talking about people, 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 people. So we lead people, we work with people, we interact with people, but as IT leaders, where do we go for this year? People. So. <laughs> Um, I don't think it's any surprise that the number one concern for most um, executive leadership is people, right? Followed closely by culture, which is ultimately people. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like number one, number two. So, so really, if we, if we think about people, um, it's such a large concern for executive leadership um, that we really should, should spend an, an appropriate amount of time on it as an industry right, as a group, as, as executive leaders. And yet, the truth is, we really spend very little time on it, proportionally, mm. right? Um, I think as an organization, we probably spend more time choosing who our preferred storage vendor is than we do talking about what changes we should make from a people perspective in the new year. Right. And I think, honestly, I think that's backwards. Um, it's why we, we saved the best for last. Because after we talk through our predictions and kind of what we see coming, um, the changes we see, the technologies we see as being super valuable, um, the fact is nothing else that we talked about really helps you as either an individual or as a team leader figure out what should your team look like? What should your skills look like? What should your focus be in 2021? Right. But a lot of that is you don't know what you don't know, right? So, you know, you have a relatively large team and you have, you know, a decent amount of uh, both credibility in the market and capability in your team. It's very difficult to appreciate both the levels of skill sets of your capability, but then determining where, what capability you're lacking. Like, sure, you could rattle off a bunch of technologies which you don't have, but you, I'm not necessarily sure you know which technologies apply best to you, uh, which technologies are a higher priority than those, uh, what skill sets beyond technology you need to add to the team, 
what capabilities holistically beyond just people, but process and tools you might need. So I think a good portion of that impact is just not knowing what I need going forward. And then even more difficult, actually knowing what level skill set and how to actually acquire those skill sets into my team. Right. So let's take data science an easy example, or at least it's a repeatable example where, you know, I do a, a heavy lifting on MIS. I do a heavy lifting on dashboards and I think I could do some predictive or prescriptive stuff, but I don't really know what level of data science I need and what data science really is, whether data science is part and parcel of, of data integration or data, uh, data, uh, engineering. Um, and then of course, I don't know how to hire these people. If, how do I look at candidates in front of me and determine that they're intermediate, junior or senior and whether I need any one of those skill sets. So I, that was just a data science example, but you could list every example that falls in that category. Uh, yeah, but, but that's where you don't make the decision, right? I mean, ultimately. Um, if I'm looking for someone to solve a challenge in my environment that I'm not intimately familiar with, as in I've done it a hundred times, right? I'm looking to replace someone that previously existed on my team that was, um, that, that hit the target that was set or exceeded it. Therefore, um, I'm familiar with that person. I'm familiar with that role enough that I could look for similar traits in someone new, similar skills in something new. Um, if I'm looking for something new, um, trying to do that in a black box is a bad idea. I'm not gonna. I, I'm not going to be wildly successful um, trying to find, you know, an answer from a black box. Right? I might as well use a magic eight ball. Magic eight ball. Do I need this skill? Outlook doesn't look good. All right, moving on. <laughs> right. Um, instead, what I want to do is I really want to approach it from what is the outcome that I need, and the outcome that I need can't be everything. Like, like if we're being honest, we are really terrible at writing job recs. That's true. Really, really bad. Like, like drive, like, like spend a billion dollars to get a, a, a rover to Mars and then drive it three feet into the ground bad. <laughs> right? Because it's easy um, to default, right? It's easy to take another job description that lists number of years and education and say, uh, you know, you also have to lead this other team. And, sure. And call, it, call, call it done. But the truth is that's not what I want. Um, it, every single time I create a job description that contains things I don't actually need, what I'm doing is eliminating the right candidate and enabling the wrong candidate every time, right? The more drift I allow in that job description from what I actually want, right? The more skills I've got in there that I don't actually need, the more I'm enabling the not perfect candidate when the reality is, right? Um, you've probably got half a million candidates you could potentially pull from if you knew how to write a job rec. Right. Right. So, so let's, let's try to think about um, rather than the kitchen sink approach where um, I need you to have 15 years experience in technology. that's only existed for six years. Um, I need you to be an expert in 40 things, only three of which actually apply for the job or apply to the job. Um, and I need you to have a, a doctorate. Um, in at least two different specialties, right? Right. The truth is I don't need any of those things. What I need is, especially if you're a leader, I need you to understand how team dynamics work. I need you to be able to answer questions on what your philosophy is for team. I need you to 
break down and understand the basics of finance. And I need you to be able to inspire and lead people and not be so technically inept that, that they have no faith in you. Right. That they're snowing you constantly. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, if you can excel in, in one or more of those things, it's going to move you to the top of the queue. Right. Um, but time and time again, I see companies put leaders in positions where um, they're not actually leaders. They're just they've just been in technology long enough. And the exhaustion was so high that they went, yeah, fine, this guy works. This that, really works. that and because there was no sort of parallel organization chart. Like the only org chart in your business is through the management hierarchy and there's no technological hierarchy. Like right. IBM has an IBM fellow, right? Under that is some sort of technical evangelist or architect and so on and so forth. Um, if you don't have that in your organization, then there's nowhere else to go. I can't be a VP level individual technologist. <laughs> no such thing exists in those type of organizations. Right, right. And and some for some reason we've made people feel like if they're not if they don't get a management title, then they're failing. Right. Right? It's like um, if we don't see growth in a company, regardless of how saturated the market is, then they're failing when the reality is often quite the opposite. Right. right? Um, and so, so really, we need to start looking at these things with kind of with our eyes wide open and taking full responsibility. Right. Well, then back to your original point, if we're looking at outcomes, uh, what are the top three to five outcomes that we want to achieve this year that we need to focus on fulfilling with skill sets, with fulfilling with people that I might not have. So I actually want to start a little bit earlier than that. Let's okay. say you're going to take our advice, um, in which case something that you're doing is new. So you're going to form a new team with new capabilities, right? right. Or you're going to add new outcome goals to existing teams. Okay. Okay. Um, the number one most important function of the team is the ability to communicate the success. Mm. It doesn't matter what the skill is. It doesn't matter what the team is. It doesn't matter what the new outcome is, right? It doesn't matter if you're going, we're, we're moving everything to the cloud and therefore we need to build a cloud team. We're going to DevOps, we need a DevOps team. We're doing data analytics. I don't care, quantum computing, blockchain. It doesn't matter. The fact is if you have no one, if, if you're not looking at soft skills first, the rest is a huge failure point, right? Right. Um, let's be honest, right? Anybody that's been in this industry for 10 years should be able in an interview to give you the confidence that they can learn most any skill necessary. Right. There are a few that require a depth of and breadth of knowledge, right? But let's say, you know, you get to the point where it's evolutionary, not revolutionary within their skill set. Um, I'd really spend a lot of time focusing on soft skills. How does this person communicate? Have they ever been part of a team where they've had to mentor other people, right? I use the term educate when I'm hiring. I expect everyone on my team to educate and that's bi-directional. You educate other people by being a mentor and you educate yourself to improve your skills. Right. Right. Especially I need someone, this, especially if it's in the same domain. So, you know, a leader within the IT domain should be able to lead most IT teams versus uh, an IT leader who now is being hired for NASA expected to launch the next, you know, uh, SDS. Probably not, right? It's, it's sure. outside of their domain. But but my expectation is, let's say DevOps, let's just going to use that as an example, because it's super common. 
And it's, it's entirely probable that, that you're going to want to integrate that with your traditional operations. Um, I don't need you to be an expert to educate other people. I just need you to have knowledge they don't have and understand it well enough that they can also understand it to the same level. Right. Um, it, it, I'm not seeking perfection. Even within education, I'm cool with an agile methodology, right? So we're just going to do a thousand steps and bring everybody along to this step, to this step, to this step, right? But I want, I want that culture and that mentality bred into my teams, bred into my department, bred into my division, bred into my organization. And that's where I should start. And if, if you are currently looking at what skills can I improve and you haven't started with taking a look at your soft skills and going, how do I communicate? How do I improve my communication? Um, how do I improve my verbal communication, my presenter style, my written communication, right? My inter-team and, and extra-team communication. Um, am I a good public speaker? Can I improve there? I, I don't think any skill has served me better in my career than the ability to stand up in front of a room and present something, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's through my whole career. I, I used to say um, it's the number one skill and people would ask, like, why? It doesn't make any sense. And I said, well, because you're part of a team. You're, not an in, you're, you're never working alone by yourself as the only person. You're part of a team. Someone at some point is going to have to stand up in front of a room of managers and present the results from the team's activity. Right. You know what person never gets fired, never gets reduced? That person. Even if the team fails, well, we can't fire Bob. Bob did such a good job presenting. It's obviously not Bob's fault. Even <laughs> if Bob did nothing but the presentation at the end. Right, so you it's a skill the, that will serve you. Want to be the press guy? You want to be the right. Uh, so, taking us back out of the rabbit hole here. So, what what I hear you saying um, is that there is a existing skill assessment activity one has to do. Right. So, whether it's hard skills or soft skills, you're going to have to look at both your leadership and your practitioners and say you know, where am I in the maturity of each one of those skills and how do I improve those uh, within my leaders or within my practitioners? Then there's the other side of that coin saying there are outcomes to which I need to achieve that are new outcomes, things that I don't have the skill set to do, and I have to fulfill on that too. So I have to source those skills potentially inside your organization, but most likely to be outside your organization. And that's arguably a different set of activities you're going to have to perform without a doubt um and especially in some of these new skills recruiters are are generally not fantastic and they're no better at sourcing it than you are right right um the reality is there's not enough penetration there's not enough success right um they don't have candidate they don't have a thousand candidates that have been placed for four plus years that went from contract to perm Right, where they're where they're actually doing a data analytics project on their own to track what the wins and losses are, um, to to really be spectacular at it. So I, I think I think it's a good time to kind of develop a process around it, that uh, uh, that's not just the simple hiring workflow. Right. So how do I properly define the outcome that's desired with specificity? Not just I have, we're moving into data analytics, we're starting a data analytics team, I'm looking for a data analyst and a data scientist. It's not really going to get you there, right? I'm looking for someone familiar with MATLAB and R. It's not, not, no, no. Let's start before the skills, right? We have 
73 data sets organized this way that haven't been touched for 15 years, that, that haven't had any data analytics done. Can you walk me through your process of analysis to determine what our maturity is before you begin the project, right? Like what does your process look like, Mr. Data Scientist, Mr. Data Analyst, Mr. You know, whatever. It's funny, you're almost describing RFI, RFP, RFQ, like the kind of detail we put into identifying the problems and outcomes we expect from this should be equal to what we should do when we're recruiting. I 100% agree, especially if it's a new business unit, if it's a new team, right? It's a, an outcome that doesn't exist. Right. It's um, almost like you have to detail in the job description the current problem set. Here's what we're not doing. Yeah. And, and I can appreciate why you might not want to make that public, but let's make that you know job description two versus job description one, right? The, the internal job description, the one that you send candidates that you really are interested in to say, okay, well, here's here's the exact issue. Here's 50 pages of where we are now, where we want to be. When we have a conversation, a two-hour conversation, we're going to double click on how you think we can get from A to B or from A to Z. Yeah, and, and the job description can be as simple as we're a company in transition mm -hmm. and part of our digital transformation is becoming more data informed than we are than we are today. But if you're if you're concerned in publishing a job description with too much detail that it's going to make your maturity look different than your competitors' maturity, um, then you there are certainly easy ways to write the job description, right? Um, and start with the team lead. That doesn't have to be the manager. That doesn't have to be an executive, right? You may already have have a manager decided for the team that's internal. But you still need an individual practitioner that is a leader on the team. Start with that role, right? Right, and and that role then needs to be this. This person will help build the team, help mentor the team, help design the direction of the team. Um, down to this, this person will help pick the tools that are used by the team, because right. that should be part of a conversation, especially within data science, because the tools are so fractured. Right. Right, and then on the other side, like be prepared when you go into a job interview. It should actually be like an RFP, like an RFI, mm -hmm. right? You should ask as many questions as the interviewer does. That's an, even if it's, that's an interesting question, why does that apply to the job, mm -hmm. right? Especially on some of the stuff that may not be obvious. How much do you expect the answer to be true? I'll, I'll, I'll tell a quick story here. So recently I've had conversations uh, you know, having a conversation about new roles, almost exactly how you're describing it, where uh, it's a small team, but an existing team, but they're looking to do new things, sell their product or services differently. And on occasion, they'll ask a question like, uh, what is the specific go-to-market that you're recommending? Or um, if you were to sell this service to a client, what outcomes would you suggest we'd be able to perform based on the services we provide? Like a relatively detailed appreciation for not only the service this company provides, but how it actually creates an outcome for the end consumer itself. Like, do you expect that kind of precision? So, so my expectation is that you know at least enough about the industry to make, to make a generally specific response to that, right? Like, I, I don't expect you to necessarily know how my business handles that within the industry. 
but an industry focused response would be absolutely my expectation. So you would expect things like, well, this client is in industry wide, uh, this uh, industry wide uh, earns revenue this way or spends money that way. And therefore to improve either the efficiency or the growth, uh, here are three to five ways how that company would do it. I'm not saying you can provide those services, but that's probably what they're looking for. And we need to make a match between the two. Yeah. And, and ideally, it's based off of some experience, right? Right. Based on what I know about manufacturing, these are the these are kind of the challenges experienced by manufacturing. These are the outcomes they tend to be they they tend to look for. Therefore, I'm going to aim to these things based on what I know about the company or the industry the the company I'm applying for sits in. You know, you have the capability to provide this, this, and this, but not really these two things. So let's 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 not bother with those two things and focus on these things. So let's carry on with this, this analogy because I think it's interesting. So let's assume that a job description is like an RFP, RFQ, um, and, and you're, the interview is like a response to that. So it's almost like you should divide that interview into, um, into the piece parts of a response to an RFP. So it's, who am I? Like the corporate overview. Um, it should be, how am I responding to the exact requirements to which you're looking for in some way? It should be how I'm going to implement those requirements and how I'm going to support those requirements. So, so, so it's exactly how one would do that kind of response. And it's exactly how an interview should go, right? Right. The fact is um, they don't. I don't know how many interviews I've done where the job requirements actually never came up in the interview. <laughs> right. And it would be really nice if they did, right? It'd be really nice if they went, okay, so um, tell me about you. Okay, here's about me. Okay, cool. So the job requirements are are the following. Let's kind of walk through them. And I think that's where, where part of the rub is, because I don't think anybody puts enough thought into the job requirements to actually do that. Right? Because I think at that point, the, the manager would be would like flip open, take a look at it, go, well, I don't actually need that. I don't actually need that. I don't actually need that. Oh, I do need that. Oh, I forgot four more things. Part of the problem there is the panel nature of, of interviews, right? Where you might get an hour in front of the hiring manager, but you actually get 10 hours in front of some other list of people in the organization who you don't directly report to. Sure, <laughs> so, but, but, I think, but I think that's okay as well, right? Um, as long as the panel interviews have a like known and understood purpose, right? right? Um, if you're going to become CTO of a, uh, we'll stick with manufacturing, a manufacturing company, right? Um, the president of the largest region, probably going to want to talk to you. Right. Right. The head of sales, likely going to want to talk, or the head of product, right? Likely going to want to talk to you. Right. Here's what our product does. Here's what the market's asking for. What are your thoughts? Like, do you agree? Do you disagree? How would you handle that? How would we work together to ensure that, that I'm getting the most best use of technology to support the sale of the product for which I'm responsible? Right. And I think as long as the conversations are those, I think it's really, really, really a powerful conversation, right? Um, I think where it starts to go sideways is a lot of the panel interviews end up being stump the chump. Right. Right. It's 10 hours, um, four hours a day. We're going to do our best to exhaust you. Um, and we're going to do our best to reduce you to as, to as few numbers as we can as possible. Right. So it's right. an easy and, comparison. Right. And ultimately, the goal should be, um, do you have, how quickly can I determine whether or not you have the bare minimum skill level to become part of the team? Right. 
right? How do I determine you have an attitude of education where you want to educate and improve? Because therefore, if you if you have the bare level minimum of bare minimum level of skill and the desire to improve, your skill level is going to rapidly improve. Um, and then how do I get to the culture fit issue? And I think that's kind of where it falls apart, especially in panel interviews. Because most of panel interviews are skill-based, yeah. not culture-based. And I don't really care how skilled you are. If you're not a cultural fit, then you're a negative to the team. Right. And the last thing I need is a negative to the team in any way. Right. Right. I need net positives, not net negatives. Right. And so... I, like, I think we need to change the focus on the whole mess and go, you know, how do we get to the point where you're, where, where I can determine whether or not you're uh, from a culture standpoint, from an attitude standpoint, from a team morale standpoint, whether you're a net positive versus a net negative. Right. That's secondary since, to that would be Especially skill. since the world's changed. So, so, so back to this analogy, because I'm really enjoying it. I, it's something I'm going to have to write up now. Uh, what are the new questions in this RFP, right? So a new question should be things like, how do you lead in a federated environment, right? Versus an in-person environment. How is that distinctly different than, you know, management by walking around? Um, how is uh, diversity and inclusion part and parcel of your leadership style where it may not have been before? Um, what are your thoughts on productivity in a distributed world? What are your thoughts on uh, digital access to technology? What are your thoughts on continual learning uh, on skill sets that might even be beyond your particular role? In other words, uh, are you looking for, does it make sense to have certifications for AWS, even though your job isn't specifically to deliver cloud services? So on and so forth, right? So, so I would get more specific with a lot of those, right? Like, um, how, mm, what, does, what is the value to diversity in your team, right? right? Not what are your, I don't like what are your thoughts on? Cause it's just like, especially me. Cause I tend to pontificate and, and, and rant. Um, <laughs> right. Um, how do you foster an environment of digital collaboration? Right. It was easy when we're in person. So how do you foster this? How do you foster similar levels of collaboration in a federated world? Right. Right. Um, describe your management style when you can't, you, you just describe the challenges you've had in not being able to physically see your people or put all of them in a room together. Right. Um, how do you handle management uh, along those lines? Tell me, tell me um, how you've run review processes for distributed teams in the past, hmm. right? Um, give me an idea of KPIs that make sense for remote workers, right? I'd get, I'd get an awful lot more specific right. in, in my requests. Um, down to, you know, um, this is our policy on education training, right? We have X budget set aside on an individual basis. We have Y budget set aside on a team basis. Um, how, how do you see executing that? How would you, um, communicate to your team? Do you think that individual team members should choose, um, what they want to learn? How do you balance that versus the goals of the company, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, Let's presume you either can't find or can't afford the perfect candidate. That sure. guarantees there'll be gaps, right? Of the 100 questions in your RFP, 80% uh, check mark, 20% uh, gap or don't know. What are you really looking for in those gaps? 
because you clearly can't fulfill in everything. Are you looking for them to appreciate the definition of that gap? Are you looking for uh, to determine whether they could fill it over time? Or do you just appreciate that not everyone's perfect and therefore um, they might have to fill that gap with their team members, right? with their greater team, that they'll get to 100% by having the five people they need to, to create the level of diversity to support that? So, so the answer is all of the above. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, right? Because the truth is nobody's perfect, therefore I expect the team to have the aggregate of the knowledge necessary to accomplish the job not no one individual. Um, two, I expect everyone to improve over time, right? And thus skills you lack during the interview, um, I expect you to gain some of them, not all of them, right? I mean, we all have to focus on something. Um, and I expect the skills that you do have to improve in their depth and breadth as well. Um, skills that we haven't even, that don't even come up in the interview, I expect to both be valuable and improve. Um, but the most important one is going into it, I need to have some appreciation for what my, like, for how the skills list out in a priority, mm. right? Because someone that's, you know, let's say I've got um, six candidates and they're all, they're all the 80-20 rule. Maybe some are 70-30 or 60-40. Um, I'm going to be infinitely more likely to choose a 60-40 candidate where the 60% aligns with my top priorities versus a 70-30 candidate where the 30% that they're missing hits more of my top priorities, right? So I really need to have a list of priorities. And I think it's also part of the problem when we write a job description, right? If we wrote a job description and said, hey, these are the six skills you must have, period, end statement. Right. Here's the other stuff that you will be working with that it would be really great if you had, but you don't necessarily have to have day one. And that only work, that's more effective if you're willing to call audibles, right? If you're willing to have a series of interviews with people who are more informed than you that inform you to both changing the priorities and or adding components that you didn't think was necessary, but now you are now enlightened. You've now learned through this process that some skill sets that I didn't think were important were in fact important and I, I now need to add. You, you can't be strict about it. You can't go in and saying it's these hundred and I'm fulfilling these hundred or not if you don't have the skill set to know whether those hundred actually are true or not. Well, well I think that's, again, I think it, it, it depends, right? If I'm replacing a member on the team, yeah. totally different, right? I know for a fact we use Ansible, the fact that you have puppet experience isn't overly helpful. Right. It's good, but it goes under that optional list. Like right. it's, it's Ansible adjacent, therefore understanding Ansible is probably helpful if you know puppet, but not Ansible versus someone who knows none of them. But if you're creating a new team with a new skill set and a new capability, you might only know half of what's required to do that job. Sure, but but I still I can still put together a list of six things that I know for sure I want. Right. Right. Um, I need someone that fits the culture. I need someone that's a good communicator, right? Because at that point it's a brand new team. Yeah. Right. I need someone that has a, a thorough enough understanding to architect the team. Again, these are soft skills rather than hard skills, but it's still six things that I need. And then I can go, okay, well, the level of expertise of these candidates is good enough that they can help drive the requirements for hire number two, which can further refine the requirements for hire number three and four and five and six, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, you only exist in, a, in kind of a black box one time. Right. After that, the previous experience informs future endeavors. 
Um, and, and so I think it is, I think it is important to develop some sort of system. Like, I think it's important to do an after action, right? Um, if, if it gets down to six candidates and you run six candidates through, through a battery of, of interviews, um, and you don't do an after action and go, okay, I understand we chose, we chose, you know, Sarah for this position, but Tom, Dick and Harry, we eliminated, let's talk through how did they get as far as they did when we eliminated them? Is there something we can look for earlier to eliminate them? Or was it just simply part of the due diligence? Were they all good enough that we would have taken any one of them? Sarah just was significant, was significantly better enough. I'm actually more concerned on the opposite to that. I'm more concerned that you had six candidates, you interviewed one through six, you've learned sufficiently through that process, that by the sixth, you should really close that loop and go back to the first again. Because now you've learned a whole new set of things, maybe five more skills that you think now are more important than other skills that you've listed. Sure, sure. Did we eliminate someone that- to <laughs> those first few candidates. Did, did we eliminate someone that should have been included? Should should it have been seven or eight in retrospect and not just six, right? Of right. the Or you rank them based resume. on not having sufficient, not having closed the loop, not having right. asked the actual question. And, and I think I think too, right? We can also use that to inform the future job description. Right. Are there skills we actually like through the interview process and and especially if we do the RFP thing, right? Like like who and then job description analysis, right? Um, when we're going through that, are we crossing stuff out and going, yeah, we don't actually need this? Are we skipping over stuff because we don't actually need this? Let's drop it from the job description. Did we bring up other things, other skills that weren't contained within the job description that we needed, right? And and the answer to that, I, it, it, based on my experience, is always yes. Right? There's always something that wasn't added that that we actually felt we really did need, right? Um, and so I think a, I, I think to your point, I think a review of the total process right. is really is is also what I was. I was hoping to get to. Another thing to consider, and I, I'm sure you've done it in the past because we've talked about it before, that when you're building out a team, but you're starting with the leader, while you're going through the process of interviewing, finding candidates for the leader, that should be the exact same time that you're looking at skill sets to fill out the team. Because it's quite possible that of the 10 candidates you saw, five of them could actually be part of the team and an ongoing set of processes. So it's not about looking at 10, picking one, and then having to look at another 10 for your team. You should be able to pick through all 10 to actually fill out the complete team. I, I don't think that happens as often as what we envision it happening. <laughs> no, and, and from a candidate standpoint, uh, and, and this is something I've encountered interviewing re recently, um, people are really tied to job title right. from both directions, right? And I think it's a real shame. Um, I don't really care what the job title is. I care what the work is. Am I going to be satisfied with the work? And am I going to be reasonably well compensated for the work and my contribution to the company? Right. Right. Job title is something really that we shouldn't care about because because it, it doesn't job title doesn't pay me. Job title doesn't actually improve my 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 life. And and the fact is, um, one of the red flags for me was always someone that came in with a demand for a job title. Mm. Right. Um, you know, I, I've used the Simon Sinek quote a lot. Right? Um, a boss has the title, a leader has the people. I'm always looking for leaders. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, um, I think as you go through the process, kind of watch out for that as well. Kind of look for, is this someone looking for a title or is this a leader who's a natural leader 
or has worked to become a leader, right? That's going to be, that's going to, to have people look at them that work for them, that work peer to them and go, that person's worthy of the title, right? Um, you know, title chasing, I think is silly. Um, and so I think often, especially when you're hiring a leader to come back to that person and go, well, we'd, we'd like to discuss, you know, position number two, it's not a leader, it's not a the leadership position, but we think you'd be great for it. I think you're going to get a lot of brush offs. Right. That's fair. Um, and then the final thing I want to do, because I think we are running, running tight on time now, so. um, is I want to encourage that if you're creating a new team and you know about it six months beforehand, tell your existing team. Hmm. Nothing is more frustrating than being a person who wishes to grow in the organization and watching those growth opportunities go to people outside the organization and never being offered internally. Right. Right. And slide your scale when you're interviewing internally. If you, if 80, 20 is your requirement, they have to meet 80% of the requirements, 20% they can learn. And these are our six that are most important. It needs to be 70, 30, six or 60, 40 internal and really push the internal candidates. Right. There's nothing better for morale than promoting from within. 100% agree. And if it means delaying by, you know, four to six months to start of this role, great, because it would have taken that long to hire somebody externally anyway. And start let's to, be honest, right? If you knew this was coming and you didn't inform your team, that's, a, that's your failing. If you knew this was coming and you've mentored no one right. in your tenure, that's your failing. Right. If we're, you know, your job, every leader's job is to mentor more than one person, right. right? Mentor the next, what is the next role? What is the next generation? What is the next person to fill a role, you know, to move up, to become peer, to move up, to, to be, to even to work directly, right? If you're a CTO, you've got three layers of people that work for you, four layers of people that work for you, five layers, right? You should be thinking about picking people from those layers and ensuring that there's always someone in the wings that you can promote to either replace someone or create a peer organization. Carlos, that was a good ending. Fourth, fourth episodes, this series is like a pure MBA leadership for tech and I was paying attention. And one question that came up in my head was a lot of times we see that companies bring leaders from other departments to lead within IT. And sometimes we see them fail and they say, well, they were good somewhere else. So it must be the IT team that is not good. Can you share a little bit about that and your experience that you have seen in that area? Because we're talking about people and, and that's one of the things that I experienced and it frustrates the teams that may work with a great leader, but there may be a disconnect in there. I, I can tell you that it's never the team that's the fault. <laughs> I can't think of any circumstance where that in fact would be true. It's always the leader's fault. Always. So, Go ahead. Park. Yeah. So I've seen it be successful and I've seen it fail, yeah. right? I've seen both. Um, and it all comes down to one thing and one thing only, and that is respect, hmm. right? Um, the team has no confidence that the new leader understands what they do and has an appreciation for what their job really is. 
Um, and the leader has no respect for that particular fact, for the fact that they don't understand the context and nuance of the work for the team that they're leading. And they tend not to take the time to learn it. They just look at management as a task that is easily replaceable regardless of the experience of the people. And it's not just, it doesn't just happen in tech, right? I'm gonna stick with manufacturing, but imagine for a moment, you have a manufacturing line and you take the, the, um, the director of the help desk and you move them over and you make them the head of manufacturing for a plant, right? right? If that person just moves in and goes, I'm just gonna run these people like I do help desk people and I have no appreciation for the intricacies and nuances of their work, of their day, of their job, it's going to fail, mm -hmm. right? You're going to destroy morale. You're going to increase your loss rate of employees, right? It's going to cost a ton of money. Um, and I would say, regardless of where the person is moving, but we'll stick with technology because that was what was brought up, um, putting someone in the position that doesn't respect technology itself is going to be an epic fail. No one is going to respect that person who works for them. And you're going to have a peer problem. There are still a ton of people that have no understanding nor respect for technology. And I see them made technology leaders from time to time. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Matter of fact, never give someone a leader they, they, that they can't respect. In general, though, I absolutely buy the process of putting, of moving leaders around uh, within senior executive ranks. That makes a lot of sense to me. Because if you want to be a COO or you want to be a CEO and you think this person has the skill set in the future to become, you know, that role within your organization, absolutely. Give them a breadth of understanding of what your business does, uh, you know, do six month stints in a variety of parts of the organization, but know that that's the purpose and that you're judging their success in these new roles to determine whether they're readily available for the COO or the CEO role. And therefore, their only focus is to ensure the success of themselves and their team versus being put in that position against their will. Uh, even when it's their, even when it is their will, right? If they get to the point where you're considering them for the COO, and therefore you're moving them to division from division head to division head to division head, understand that, that a few things need to happen. First, you need to communicate the, to the executive team that that's the goal. And two, they should never have got that far if they don't, if they're not a leader, right. if they're just a boss, you're making a mistake, right? right. Don't promote bosses. Look for leaders, nurture leaders, mentor leaders. Well, my friends, there you have it. The last part of the trends and everything that we see happening on the IT world for the leader. So make sure that you take the time to share this with your team. I've learned a lot. I sit down after the fact and I go through them because my team grows when I grow. So make sure that you take the time so you can grow with your team. And as always, make sure that you subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. So we'll see you on our next episode. <laughs>